Hello and welcome back to Across the States, the premier state policy podcast from the American Legislative Exchange Council. I'm your host, Matt Fisher, and we are welcoming back to the program Nikola Vrabiov, who spoke with us just before Russia's invasion of his country, Ukraine. Nikola is a Ukrainian journalist and Austrian Marshall Plan Foundation fellow who holds master's degrees in management and economics from Kiev National University of Trade and Economics. Since Russia's annexation of Crimea and further escalations in eastern Ukraine in 2014, Mikola covered the most recent developments as a military journalist on the front lines of Ukraine's eight-year war in the Donbas. In 2017, he was nominated for the Austrian Marshall Plan Foundation Fellowship at John Hopkins University's SAIS program. The topic of his research is countering Russian informational aggression in Ukraine and whole Europe. It's great to have you here, Mikola. Our prayers are with you and the Ukrainian people right now. Also joining us here in st- joining us here for our podcast is Carla Jones, Senior Director of Alex Federalism and International Relations Task Force. Carla, welcome back to the Cross the State. It's always a joy to have you on with us. Thank you very much, Matt. Hi, Mikola. We so appreciate you joining us again today, Tuesday, March 15, 2022. The last time we spoke on Tuesday, February 22nd, you were in Kiev. Is that still where you are? And do you plan to stay there for the foreseeable future? Uh, uh, well, Carl, thanks very much for reaching out. Uh, so basically, yes, I'm in Kiev, but it's kind of back and forth. So you take your car, you drive, you see different places, different people, but I'm around, I would say. Uh, mostly in the downtown, but also in the suburbs. Uh, also, like, you know, like around. Kiev is a big city. Uh, and yeah, I, I'm pl- I plan to stay, yes. Back in February, you said that life was pretty calm, that everyone had accepted that war was on the way, but that life in the city was relatively normal. Can you describe what conditions are like now? Is there still power? Can people still get food? Any checkpoints, shelling? Basically, give our listeners an understanding of what life is like for the people in your city right now. Uh, well, so I would compare it something to the first wave of the uh, COVID outbreak. You remember when there was people are very scared, everything was closed and so forth. Uh, now, it's, uh, the difference is that many people, it's, it's very visible, they flew, flew, flew uh, they see uh, they, they see. So, before the invasion, it used to be around six, maybe six, seven million of population. Now it's uh, around two million. So, and it's very visible. There is less people, of course. And many people, they actually left. Uh, and uh, especially the first wave of their, fleet, of their fleet was at the beginning when it was some kind of panic. And then people flew like afterwards, you know, like when there was first shells uh, at, at Kiev. Especially like today in the morning, yesterday, there was like some some uh, uh, neighborhoods where like some buildings and uh, were destroyed. So of course, it motivates people to leave, of course, to go somewhere, either to go abroad. And but we have for uh, for men, we have uh, restrictions according to the law. The men between 18 and 60 years old, if they are can be can serve the army, they they can't leave actually the country. But they can migrate uh, within the country. Uh, many people uh, left with their families. Uh, so I personally, I uh, not only my example, but many people, for the, for example, they send their beloved, like their children, their uh, 
uh, wives, you know, sisters, they send them to the safe place or abroad, and then uh, and the men, mostly men, they stand uh, uh, in Ukraine and in Kyiv to defend their uh, city and their country. And President Zelensky has become an international hero. He's speaking to our Congress tomorrow, as a matter of fact. Americans who couldn't yeah. find Ukraine on a map in January listen to each one of his daily briefings and tributes to your nation are all over social media. Every single one of my Facebook friends has a Ukrainian flag um, as part of their profile. Just about every work or personal conversation starts with what's happening in Ukraine. And the world, with a very few notable exceptions, is on your side. And President Zelensky and other members of your government, from members of your parliament to your UN ambassador, deserve a lot of credit. Is Zelensky's leadership similarly appreciated within Ukraine? Yeah, Carla, absolutely. So according to the recent polls, uh, they, around over uh, 90% of uh, people, they support Zelensky. Uh, although there was a lot of critics before the wars, nobody expected that he, uh, nobody counted on his courage and nobody expected that he will be as brave and he will become the leader of the free world. So really, it, it's, it became a surprise even for me because I was a harsh critic of Zelensky, and I didn't expect that he will stay in Kiev if something happens. He never served in the army. He is completely civilian. Uh, he is comedian, of course. He is a newcomer to politics and so forth. But now we see the best side of his uh, uh, character, of his, uh, his, her, his charismatic, he is active. Uh, he, he doesn't scare to go outside. Sometimes he records his video directly from his cabinet in the downtown from the administration, from his office, I mean, which, which means, which shows, like, so people can be, they, they can rely on authorities, they don't panic, they, so by this, uh, he wants to show, the, the country's leadership wants to show that everything is under control, despite the, all the propaganda and disinformation, they remind in the city, they remain uh, in the capital, they remind on their workplaces, and so that's, 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 that, uh, uh, that encourages people to do more, that uh, inspires people, you know, and of course, the Western partners. That's true. So many people, of course, uh, they change their uh, view about the president, including myself. And President Zelensky has said that only a meeting between him and Putin could lead to a ceasefire. Do you believe there are terms to which both Ukraine and Russia can agree um, seeding Crimea and the Donbass, for example? And do you think Putin is interested in an off-ramp to stop the war he started? And lately, uh, President Zelensky seems optimistic about prospects for an agreement. Do you know why he's so hopeful? Uh, well, first of all, uh, let's, let, let's uh, review the evolution of the Russian position. So at the beginning, they spoke only in the way uh, uh, of, by the language of ultimatums. Also, they didn't consider any negotiations. They didn't consider Ukrainian position as it is. So before what before uh, uh, Putin uh, stressed many times and the Russian leadership, they didn't consider even Ukraine as a part for the negotiation because they didn't consider Ukraine as a country, as a nation, 
you know, they thought that it would be the puppet of the West, particularly the United States, and only one, if you remember the uh, famous and very rude uh, article of uh, Dmitry Medvedev, who was a former prime minister uh, of Russia, and then uh, I would call him ex-president of Russia. Uh, so uh, he said that there is no sense to take a talk uh, with Kiev because they are puppets. Uh, it's a client state of the United States, so we should uh, speak only with the powerful nations, particularly with Washington D.C. and or maybe somebody from Europe. Now it has changed. So as many as as more they losses gain on the ground, and according to the uh, Ukrainian defense minister, they lost unprecedented number of their forces uh, of their military vehicles, equipment and so forth and they say it's over 30, 13,000 uh, uh, servicemen, troops Russian troops and I would just uh, uh, remind you that uh, during their Soviet invasion of Afghanistan as they stationed there for 9 years the Soviet Union has lost 15,000 in total over 9 years and in Chechnya the official numbers were were about 12,000 two campaigns, Russian campaigns in Chechnya. And now they face unprecedented uh, losses. You know, they for sure they did not expect such a high uh, resistance in Ukraine. It's just, I would say, very, very high and very brave resistance in Ukraine, not only from the army, but from the whole nation. And it makes them to change their view. So first and foremost, they say, well, we didn't, Russians say, we didn't um, uh, mean to topple any government in Ukraine. We didn't want to change the government. We didn't want to topple Zelensky. Uh, we wanted just to conduct. First, uh, they declared about denazification. It's just like uh, wiping out uh, Ukraine uh, from the Nazis, you know, which they all they they created in their like uh, sick imagination. But also demilitarization. Now they shifted just to the demilitarization. That's it. Uh, and you know, they, they, their position the Russian position, as more as losses they gain, and as far as on the 20th day of the invasion, they didn't get any serious victory, except two cities like Kherson um, or Meritopol, which on the south. Uh, and I believe that uh, uh, so people didn't give up, but the leadership uh, it was uh, uh, penetrated by the Russian agents, you know, by their influencers, and I think only because of the traitors in these cities, it fell to Russia. But I think, I'm sure it's temporary. Uh, so their, their position is shifting right now, and it seems uh, Putin also confirmed this yesterday to Erdogan, to the Turkish president, that he is ready to meet Zelensky personally. That's from, for what I know. Yeah, there is no question that both the Ukrainian military and the Ukrainian people have been resisting amazingly to Russia's threat. Um, and how would the Ukrainian people feel about ceding territory and giving up hope of joining NATO? I'm assuming that calls for Ukrainian demilitarization, as you were mentioning, are non-starters. At least I hope they are. Uh, well, at this point, it's hard even just to say. So basically, the, the Russian uh, the, the Russian position at this point and their demands are really unclear, you know, because there is no any frame which says what means demilitarization. So basically, uh, what, it, does it mean just to give up or abandon all weapons? 
or it means that Russians, they already destroyed a lot of uh, 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 military facilities in Ukraine. So you can consider it also as demilitarization. And maybe at some point, if Putin, what, what, by, what I heard from the, my sources, people uh, uh, in the Ukrainian government, of course, they might say, well, so if Putin wants to uh, get out of the game, you know, and being like, you know, like being still like a, uh, not a loser, at least. So he may say, well, so we just already tar- targeted enough uh, Ukrainian military facilities. That, that is, so mission is completed. That means in their view, demilitarization. So there is no clear demand. And basically, even if our authorities, they conduct some negotiations and even reach some agreements over, some, for example, green corridors, so-called humanitarian corridors, because the uh, number of the cities, including the Mariupol, which has uh, over 400,000 inhabitants, it uh, remains under the siege of the Russian army over the last uh, 12 days. And thousands of people already dead, you know, it's like humanitarian crisis. And if you negotiate and reach some uh, deal with Russians over the humanitarian corridors through the Ukrainian to the civilians which stay in the city, they all, they break it immediately, you know. So Ukrainian transport, they get there, they take the priest, they take people from the Red Cross and other charity organizations. And in the end of the day, Russians start shelling at, at them. So... There is no, I mean, you can trust actually uh, to them. And it's really, it's probably the hardest negotiations is with Moscow. But at this point, what I want to to add, that uh, probably the main goal for Zelensky himself and why he is so eager to meet with Putin, personally, I think that the main deal will be not the political side, but mostly humanitarian side to at least to achieve uh, some temporary ceasefire. That's that's the most that's the crucial right now because even while we are talking right now, I remember many people unfortunately they passed, you know, especially the people like children, women, and you know they because it's uh, not a war against Ukrainian army, it's a war against uh, Ukrainian as a nation, you know. So it seems that they uh, uh, they apply the Russian apply like a, a Syrian scenario like they did with Aleppo. That's why they are just they wipe out, they totally destroy destroy whole cities without any military purpose. Americans have been absolutely horrified by what we're seeing in your country and horrified by what Russians have been doing. Um, I'm going to switch over to refugees right now. Ukraine's neighbors have been generous about taking Ukrainians who all say they want to return to Ukraine as soon as peace is restored. Do you know people who have left Ukraine? Yes, many. And also, a lot of us in the West want to stop Russia, and we feel helpless to do anything. 75% of Americans would like to implement a no-fly zone, which the president opposes, or at least he did a couple of weeks ago, but it's almost as if he's inching towards that. And 70% of Americans don't even mind increases in gasoline costs, which for Americans, that's a big deal, as long as they feel like it's helping Ukraine. And in the States just this year, more than 130 pieces of legislation are being considered condemning Russia's attack on Ukraine. I've never seen anything in the States go this viral. 
17 states have already enacted the legislation. And I think by the time state legislative sessions wrap up this spring, I would guess that at least 40 states and the District of Columbia will have enacted resolutions against Russia and in solidarity with Ukraine. I mean, this has united America in a way that I haven't seen anything unite America since 9-11. So given all of that, what should we be asking our leaders to do? And are there creative ways to implement things like a no-fly zone, like to bring in Patriot interceptors, establish humanitarian corridors that could involve the UN instead of NATO and the US? Uh, well, Carlo, that's, that's uh, so on behalf of uh, 1999, maybe 100% of Ukrainian people, I believe it's 100. Uh, also, we had some uh, people like who were like pro-Russians, you know, especially in these regions, you know, the Russian-speaking population, and they uh, used to vote for the pro-Russian parties. But unfortunately, and it's very like strange in the, for me as a person, those people, in the eastern and southern parts of Ukraine, which are Russian speakers, you know, which like in many ways they have relatives in Russia, you know. Many of them are have called uh, uh, like Russian citizenship, you know, but those people, Kharkiv, uh, Mariupol, Kherson, uh, Nikolaev, all these people are suffered the most. So uh, that's, that's, but uh, now they turn like, I believe all of them turned into the pro-Western, pro-Ukrainian way. And on behalf of all these people, I want to thank, uh, if I may say it, uh, uh, with their permission to thank to America, and because I, I, I observe uh, the American-Ukrainian relationships over the last maybe 10 years. I spent around four years working in Washington, D.C., and I know how much, first and foremost, American people uh, did for my country, for my nation. And of course, its leadership. Uh, as to your question, uh, Carla, I think that, uh, well, so again, uh, I want just to involve any political judgment. And I've got different uh, pro and contra about the non-fight zone. But I would put it in the, by the words of the famous Russian oppositioner. He is in, uh, in the exile. Uh, he is uh, in uh, the United States, from somewhere in Europe. His name is Gary Kasparov. And I, I heard his uh, expression uh, earlier in the morning. He said, well, so the last 20 days proved us that Ukrainians have courage, but don't have weapons. And the West, NATO, has weapons and doesn't have courage. So I would completely agree with this. So I think that it's not about the involvement of the Americans. It's not about the boots on the ground. So we don't talk about this. And we don't consider, and I, 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 as I'm sure, so maybe if you ask Americans how many they're like, they, they want just to send their um, relatives to fight for Ukraine, I believe the numbers won't be as high, which is understandable because America has lots of internal and external challenges and so forth. But basically in this situation, uh, I would repeat what the President Zelensky says. He insists that we need just the weapons and not only the light weapons, not only the sanctions, which has a long-term perspectives, but we need something immediately. And first and foremost, uh, either providing Ukraine with the, with the jets, I mean, with the airplanes, with um, uh, air, uh, and uh, anti-aircraft systems, you know, because the most 
uh, destruction. The most casualties right now are caused by the uh, Russian aviation. So they, they launch a uh, uh, long uh, uh, distance missiles like uh, Iskander, Karbiet, and so forth. They bomb the city and so forth. So, and even if we, uh, by our, again, not not perfect, uh, in many ways, it's a Soviet anti-aircraft systems like Vuk or S-300 or something like this, even though it's modernized, it's not enough. So basically, if we intercepts even 70% of their missiles, 30% will reach their goals. And again, it's a devastating uh, destructions, and it's just uh, human lives. That's why the president and the whole country's leadership, there is a lot of like local authorities, local people all around the country and our, all around the world, they are begging. Uh, of course, at least it has to be uh, providing this um, anti-aircraft system just to close the sky, to save the, to, to not to let Russians to bump uh, Ukrainian territory. And maximum, of course, the non-flying zone. But I, rem- I, I, I agree that non-flying zone is more questionable. It's, it's about uh, the, the rest of the requests, for example, providing uh, 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 Patriot systems or something like more heavy than the light armor. So, of course, that's doable. That's possible. And it's a political decision. So, and I believe that the President Biden, he plans to travel to the to Europe uh, this week. And I think that we'd be the core uh, in the address of Zelensky to Europe, to the United States Congress. Well, as we're wrapping up, is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know? Uh, I would like just to remember that, uh, you know, so the famous phrase, uh, probably Winston Churchill told this, maybe you can translate it in a better way, but the people who uh, who choose between the uh, bread and peace, they prefer like a bread, they lose both, and bread and peace. You know, so basically that's why did not start, uh, we don't have to compromise with Russia right now. And this uh, war didn't start on February 24th. It was a hybrid war. It started eight years ago. And uh, uh, the Russians, they sent their troops. The first, they seized Crimea, uh, which uh, with three million of population. Then they sent their troops and militia to the Donbass, to the eastern Ukraine. But people were like, the world was calm. You know, they didn't expect that it will exaggerate at that high level as it is now. But I think if we were more active, more like here about the uh, more uh, democratic uh, values and more were more engaged then, back in, since 2014, that uh, the, the crisis right now, the real tragedy that could be avoidable right now. So basically, in many ways, I believe that uh, we pay the price because some people who were in charge, they didn't pay as much attention to that hybrid work which was launched by Kremlin after the Yevromaidan revolution in Ukraine in 2014. And now, I mean, they just keep, keep, keep continuing. And hopefully we, together with the Western allies, together, I believe, with the whole world, with the whole free world, I believe that we will win. I believe that it will be a new turn of the, not only Ukraine, but the world history, and it will be a triumph of 
freedom and democracy, all the values of which the United States and Ukraine as a key allies stands. Thanks so much for emphasizing that point, Mikola. I think that's something that most Americans don't understand, that Ukraine has been at war with Russia for eight years yeah. now, both a hot war well, uh, and hybrid war. Yeah, yeah, it was a hybrid war, yeah, and it was a lot of casualties. Uh, I mean, by then it was a high number, so around uh, 17 people, uh, 14, so officially to see 14,000 people were killed in the Donbass, you know, I mean, before the February 24th, you know, so yep. basically, but uh, people who are involved, who are researching, I mean, the, the pundits, you know, the academics, they knew that they, it was not about the Donbass of Crimea, it was about the geopolitical issues, it was about the Putin, he's obsessed with the restoration of the Russian Empire, and it was about all Ukraine and further. That's it. So uh, ma many people uh, were, I would say, prepared for such a dramatic uh, escalation. So people who, of course, not everyone, but those people who uh, researched the topic for years. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us, Mikola. You've done both your nation and definitely our members a huge service by sharing all you know with them. And we hope your nation will stay safe. And Slava Ukraine. Slava, glory to Ukraine. God bless America. Thank you very much. Absolutely. And we're looking forward to the day when this war comes to an end and the Ukrainian people can live in peace and freedom from wars of aggression and imperialism. Nikola, thanks for joining us again on Across the States. You, sir, are a blessing to us and to the rest of our listeners and the world for the work you're doing there. And thank you to Carl again for organizing and helping put together this podcast. And thank you to our listeners for joining us for another episode of Across the States. I'm your host, Matt Fisher, as always, and I'll see you again next time for more of the Premier State Policy Podcast. Thank you for listening to Across the States, the leading state-focused policy podcast presented by the American Legislative Exchange Council, the premier free market organization of and for legislators. To learn more about our work or to make a tax-deductible donation, visit alec.org. Tell us what you think on Facebook and Twitter at Alec States. The views and opinions expressed on Across the States are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the American Legislative Exchange Council. 